My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I like doing puzzles. I don't want to say I love doing puzzles because that would be an exaggeration. Um, But uh, I like puzzles. I think they're they're kind of fun, um, kind of cathartic. You know, you're just putting them together. You can kind of let the thoughts go through in your mind. Uh, But I'm not necessarily in love with puzzles. And, but my dad, man, he loves puzzles. He's like, he's the opposite of me. We go on family vacations and he's like putting them together and he loves doing this whole thing. And so eventually there's a moment in those vacations where it's like, all right, I sit down. I'm like, it looks so tempting over there to just plug some pieces in, you know? So I join him and I hop in and I start putting it. It might only be a few pieces. I might help him finish the puzzle. I might help him start the puzzle when you can put the edges in and it's easy at that point. Um, but there's always a moment when you're you're putting together the puzzles and you, you're looking for a piece, right? And you're like, okay, it kind of looks like this and this. And you start trying to put it together. And you're like, oh, I think I found it. I think I found it. And so what typically happens when we're doing puzzles is we find the color or we find what looks the same and we, we start trying to put it together. That's what we start doing. We're like, and, and we get there and it doesn't quite fit. We kind of, we're sitting there and we're like, we're looking at it a second time, a third time. We're like, man, I swear it goes there. Like, I swear it does. And so then we put it back down and we start searching the rest of the puzzle board and looking for it, only to come back across that piece again and go, okay, let me just try one more time because the fourth time it might actually fit. And so we're putting it in there, we're putting, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I sit there and I go, man, how many times in my life am I sitting there trying to make puzzle pieces go together that don't go together? How many times in my life am I trying to force something that's not meant to be? And I I start thinking about it. I'm like, man, I I like to force things. I like my will. I like what I want. But I think about the moments where it's like maybe you're planning an event and you're planning, like maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's a get together with friends. COVID ruined everything for everyone this last year and made us all feel like we were forcing something. Um, but maybe it's some kind of gathering and you're like, you're so excited about it and you're putting it together and the details keep falling apart. And you're just like, oh my goodness, like, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, is it really gonna happen? Am I just trying to make this happen? 
um, maybe for you, it's, it's maybe not so much an event, but it's, uh, it's, it's, if you're like me, you're a new parent. And so you're getting all these new plastic toys. Um, we have a different word for them in my house, but, uh, you get all these toys and you're like, okay, last week it was my daughter's birthday. And so I'm like, I'm looking at all these pieces of this new toy we got in the, and I'm like, Okay, I can put this together. And my favorite thing to do is to attempt to put things together without directions because that really, there's something about that, you know, that makes me feel good. It's like, if I can put a couple pieces in a puzzle, then I can put together these plastic toys that have like nothing to them. And then you get about partway through and you're realizing, oh, there's two different screw sizes as you're doing it. I didn't, you know, it's like, there's only a half inch difference, but I'm putting in the wrong screws in the wrong spot. And uh, this isn't the first time, but this is usually you find yourself part of the way through forcing it together. You're like, uh-oh. And then your wife's like, are you going to break this thing? Okay, but we don't need to go there, right? But just like, that's, that's the conversation of every household. And uh, the women are like preaching. The husbands are like, dude, come on, man. You got you to gotta put that together for us so we can get some wins on the board. Um, but we all have those moments. And to get a little bit more serious, maybe for you, it's like there's a relationship out there. And it's broken and it's been hurt and it's fallen apart and you're sitting there and you've been trying to put the thing back together in your own timing. Like you're trying, you're doing everything, but at some point it just feels like you're forcing it. Or maybe for you, it's just like you're starting a friendship or you're starting a relationship and it, everything around the turn, everything around the bend, every situation that comes up, it's like it kind of feels forced. Maybe you got an endeavor in life that you're pursuing. Maybe it's a business opportunity, a dream, something that you've had, and you're just like, you're going after it, but it kind of feels like the opportunities aren't lining up or the breakthroughs are not coming your way. I think the truth is we all have moments in our life where we kind of feel like, man, there's something that God's called us to, or we're excited about, and we want to birth this, this idea or dream or desire into conception, but it's just like, it doesn't happen. And so then what do you do? What do you do when it feels like you're sitting there and you, every, everything just kind of feels forced? It's like, it kind of fits, the colors don't match, whatever it is, the opportunity, and it just feels forced. And then how do you know when you're forcing it? Like, how do you really know? It's like, because sometimes there's just resistance in general, right? Like things don't come through. So how do you know you're forcing it? How do you know it's just not a moment you got to push through and that there's a breakthrough on the other side? The truth is, is you kind of got two decisions to make. You keep fighting or you, or you let go in what feels like defeat. And the truth is, is that the disciples today are faced with that very same thing as Jesus is being handed over. See, for the disciples, this is the guy they've spent their entire life with Jesus for the last three years. And they've learned so much about him. They believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's this guy that could, could deliver them from their Roman oppression. And he's at the moment of being handed over to the religious leaders today is the scene we come on to. And they're left with kind of two decisions. Do they fight for him and not let him be handed over? Or do they just run and go, we don't want to be in this mess either. And that's, that's what we're left with. That's, that's what we come on. So the scene we come on to today is we're coming to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and we have Jesus sitting there with his disciples and Judas, one of the original 12, one of Jesus's friends shows up with Roman soldiers, temple soldiers. And just to give you an idea, it's not just a couple of them. There's a lot of debate, but it could be anywhere from 60 to 200 at a minimum is what we're looking at showing up to arrest Jesus. It's a little excessive if you ask me, but that's what's there. So this is what's showing up on the scene And Jesus is being betrayed by his own friend who he's poured his life into for the last three years. And that's where we pick and come into the story today. So let's, let's see Jesus' response. Says Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. And Jesus said, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Now, what we need to know here is we can just notice the power immediately from Jesus. He says, I am he. He's claiming his deity. He's claiming to be God. And at the moment of just speaking that, the soldiers fall over. All 200 of them. Like, that's a big scene. Like, that's, that's a lot of power in that moment. Which tells us right up front in this story that if Jesus wants to get out of this, he can. He can. Like if Jesus really wants to escape this moment and not go through with this, he he can escape right now. That's the power that he's illustrating in this. That's the power that's going on. But the truth is, we know maybe how the story ends if you've been in church long enough that Jesus has to go and die on a cross for the sins of the world. That is what he's come to do. And that this is the way to go do it. But the truth is, is that if you're sitting there as one of his disciples, you're going, I'm not sure I agree with where this is going. And so if you're Peter, you pull out the dagger you have on and you start swinging it. And this is what happens. It says, Simon Peter drew out a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Now, it says sword. It's giving Peter a little bit too much credit. It's a dagger. All right? You need to know that. And even more than that, there's a lot of debate about how bad Peter's aim is. Like, was he trying to get the person next to him? Was he trying to get Malchus and missed and hit the ear? I thought the ear was like, that's good aim. But that's not, there's there's debate about how bad it really is. (laughs) But what I want to point out more than anything about Peter is here's a moment where he's trying to do something. What he feels is right. It's a moment and he's, he's forcing the piece. Oh, fit. I didn't realize I grabbed two pieces that fit. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here. I'm here for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> Let's grab the pieces that don't fit together. All right. <laughs> we'll bring that one together at the end. Um, but you see, you see these moments here where you, you see Peter, he's pulling out the sword and he's like, I'm fighting for something. And he's fighting for what he believes is right. And he's, and he's forcing it together. He's forcing this moment. And the reason we know this is because we got to look back at the context of the situation, which I've kind of already hinted at. And the truth is you have, you have what everyone expected in the Messiah, Jesus, or who he's claiming to be. And people believe that the Messiah was going to rescue the nation of Israel. 
that he was going to deliver and liberate the people of Israel because they are under Roman rule right now. They're being oppressed by the Romans. And so here's the Messiah. He shows up. It's Jesus. Obviously, he has the power to dethrone Rome. And so they're very excited about this. And so Peter, sitting in this moment, goes, man, we cannot allow this to happen, right? So he swings. But beyond that, we also need to know that Peter is a zealot. All right, and that's maybe not a common term for many of us in here, but a zealot, it's, it's a basically an aggressive political party who's opposed to Rome. So you can imagine, he's like this, he's this very strong Jewish nationalist whose concern is for the new Jewish nation and actually kind of opposes those who try to seek the peace in that moment that may actually be Jewish as well. So Jesus is fighting for his friend, but he's also fighting for his, what he believes is his nation. So he's swinging this sword and he thinks he's doing the right thing. And we can't blame him either for this. I mean, we may think like Peter, this is a little ridiculous, but truly he is fighting with the moment on the line for what he believes is right. That's what he's doing. And so we need to register, like we need to understand that we kind of got to empathize with Peter here for a moment and go, man, in the moment, I get him swinging the sword. But he also misses the whole point of why Jesus came. See, Jesus has been telling him, he's saying, Peter, I I have got to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world to truly liberate the people. This is not, this, I am not going to overthrow Rome by the way you think so. I'm going to liberate and free you in a way that you have no idea. And so Jesus willingly goes into the custody and he's led to the high priest house. And basically it's this trial that's put on with the religious leaders, but it's rigged. They're just trying to condemn Jesus. They're just trying to put him to death. That's all they're trying to do. But the struggle as we've been talking about is that Israel is under Roman rule. And so therefore they can't just kill Jesus on their own. Rome forbid that. And so therefore they got to bring him to a higher authority within the Roman command to get Jesus killed. Is, is basically how this is going. And so as we walk this journey, we come into what is going to be one of the highest, most per, people, the most power in this conversation. So let's, let's see the next slide. It says, Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. Here we are, the person who can make that decision to kill Jesus. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. They wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. Now, you want to know another moment in life where it feels like you might be like forcing puzzle pieces together? Is when your hypocrisy in your life is very evident. Like that's that's a moment when you're forcing things and it's like you can just be a hypocrite. And you might not always see it because it's a blind spot. But for others it is because here we have the religious leaders and what's going on with them is they're following their rules of impurity at this moment. They're they're, they're purity rituals. In other words, they can't go into the house of a Gentile, an outsider, because if they did, that would defile them. And therefore they'd be unclean for seven days, which wouldn't allow them to worship with the looming, uh, worship at the temple with the looming Passover celebration as we see at the end of here, Right. And so with that going on, they're like, okay, we can't go inside because we got to follow our rules. But at the same time, we've rigged the whole trial so we can murder an innocent man. It's like, ooh, you want to know how you're forcing things? Do all your actions line up? And so here we have it. 
we come in and we have who is Pilate in this. And so we're going to be introduced to him in this next verse. It says, so Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law. Pilate told them, only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. So here we have it, right? The real reason it's getting to, to Pilate. And the truth is, if you look at this, right, they, they're like, we wouldn't have given him to you, over to you if you weren't a criminal. It's like, that's their best response right now. It's not even legitimate. It's, it's totally forced. But what we really need to see is, we, is this collision that we're about to enter into in this book in John 18, which is we have Pilate, who's the representative of Rome. He would be the governor of Rome. He's over the province of Judea where Jesus is being tried. And yet Rome would still allow the Jews to practice, actively practice their faith, right? But it was within the restrictions of Rome because they were the leaders. So therefore Pilate, he is the most powerful person in this situation, representing the kingdom of Rome. And here we have Jesus who's coming to stand before him, who is the representative of the kingdom of God. And so two kingdoms are colliding in this moment. And so we get to see how this plays itself out. So let's go to the next slide. It says, then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? The main thing that Pilate cares about in this moment is not whether Jesus has been, is, <laughs> is breaking all their religious rules that they've got, right? Pilate's concerned about Rome. Don't kid yourself. Pilate is really considered about Rome. That's all he cares about. And so if Jesus is a threat to Rome, well, then he's a threat to Pilate because Pilate's all about keeping his job, keeping his prominence, keeping his power, and so he's looking at the situation and he's going, you know what? I, this guy hasn't even done anything. Even what they're claiming and all this, he's not a threat to Rome. And so therefore, Pilate really doesn't have a lot of vested interest or care or even want to try to crucify him because he sees that. Now, the truth is, is that Jesus is the greatest threat to the power of Rome but just not in the way that they expect in that moment. And so we see this conversation taking place between them, but more than that, we see Jesus' response. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And so here we have it. I'm going, when we look at this response, it's like if... If it were, my followers would fight for keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. I'm like, wait a second, Jesus, like Peter did. Like he was fighting. He had his dagger out and he's swinging it. He was fighting. Wasn't it you, Jesus, who told him, put the thing back in the sheath? Yeah. So then therefore, the point I want to draw, like make sure we talk about, I've said it here. But I really want to draw emphasis to it is Jesus is willingly going to the cross. Like, just remember that. Like, that is the most important thing. We say that in church sometimes and we just kind of flippantly throw it. Yeah, Jesus chose to go to the cross. We say that and we're like, man, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Woo, it's rally. Jesus chose the route of torture and death and crucifixion. He chose that. That is the kingdom of God. That's the ruler 
This is the kingdom of God, and this is the ruler of it, and this is the route he chooses. And yet we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's like, what? And yet he chooses death. And we don't let that always register sometimes because oftentimes we, we like the kingdoms of this world. We like the kingdom of Rome. We like the way that sounds. Because you know what the kingdom of Rome does? Is it, it forces things together. It makes things happen for their own will. It's all about power. It's all about their own security. It's all about pleasure. It's all about building monuments that represent them so that their legacy will live on in a piece of stone beyond the time. Like that's, that's what the world wants. And they coerce and they manipulate. And it's anything to grasp at power and control. Because if you don't have that, then you're nobody. And that has not changed in 2,000 years. Nothing is different from the moment where Jesus is on trial before Pilate and today when it comes to the way the rulers of this world rule. Now there may not be kings necessarily like then. There may not be, but we got committees. We got groups. We got, we got, little, we got little league programs. We got political parties. We got best friend groups. We got all kinds of things. And at our core, sometimes, if we're not careful, we cling to security and power and our own way of things. That is the kingdom mindset of this world saying, hey, this might end one day, so I better cling on to everything I have as, as much as I can because I don't want to lose it. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, hey, this is the clash of the kingdoms, the clash of the rulers. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, he's like, I am setting an example for you that's a new way to rule, a new way to live, a new way to love. And in an earlier teaching with Jesus and his disciples, he's taught them, he's saying, hey, I'm going to show you what real leadership looks like. And this is what he says to them. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus's kingdom, Jesus's way of leadership is dying to self. It's laying down your life. It's becoming a servant to others. When, when they would build things, they would build them to God. They would build altars. They would serve the poor. They would come before and, and go, man, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's not, it's not about me. That's, that's the way of Jesus. And so don't, don't kid yourself that John, our gospel writer in the account today, has, has set up this clash of the kingdoms and what we see here. And, and basically in John's theology, he says, hey, the moment that Jesus is going to dethrone all the world's power is actually the moment of his greatest weakness when he's lifted up on the cross and people will have to come to him and believe in his name to experience eternal life. That's the moment. That's the moment when the world's powers will be dethroned, realizing that you don't have to grasp for power. You don't have to grasp for control. It's not about you trying to force things together in your life to make them happen, but actually submitting and surrendering to the will of God.
That's where the greatest life is found. That's where followers of Christ are supposed to be. You know, the early Christian movement was called the way. First off, because they believed the only way was, to, was through Jesus to get to God. That was the only way. But not only that, they were so radical in the way that they lived. They were so different. Giving away their things, tying to self, living in this community of submission to one another. It was so radical. And when it was so different and it was so beautiful is the moment that it grew to something. Because people are like, I want to be a part of that. And this is what God calls us to today. This is what God wants us to be a part of today. And, and if we're so honest, it's so tempting to want to go and be enamored with what this world has to offer. We all get it. We got, we got all kinds of issues going on that political things have just been thrown in our face. And if we're not careful, we can start grasping to a side or to a certain belief system that is not found in scripture, that is not found in the kingdom of God. And we can start leading and loving and living like the world does and not living and leading like the kingdom of God calls us to be. If we're citizens of that, because Jesus is not trying to just rule this world. He is the ruler of this world now. He is the ruler of heaven, the kingdom of God. But the place that Jesus rules and what changes this world is in our hearts. That's where Jesus rules. And so when you profess your belief in him, when you claim to believe in him, all of a sudden you start changing. Because Jesus starts ruling in the greatest place of all. Your heart, your actions, your motives. And there's going to be moments where you want to fight and coerce and force something. And Jesus is asking you to say, hey, can you come and die with me? Can you come and serve with me? Can you look out for the least, last, and lost of society? There's two different ways. And sometimes it feels like when you take that kingdom route, I'm I'm just going to be honest with you in the room, online. When you take that route of dying to self, sometimes it feels like you're losing everything. You're like, oh man, I would have really liked this or would have been nice to get some recognition for here. And I will just tell you that in those moments where you come and die and you lay it down, I believe that you will truly experience the life that Christ has promised, which you were truly made for, that you will come alive in those moments because you'll realize that pursuing your kingdom is so empty. You know, this last week I spent some time, I spent some time uh, getting away and retreating. And I was forced to <laughs> look at some verses, look at some, uh, some scripture. And one of the pieces that I was looking at was the Lord's Prayer. And if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, it's this moment where Jesus is teaching those closest to him how to pray. He's teaching them, saying, hey, if you want to talk to your father, if you want to talk to God, let me, let me show you how to pray. And this is what he says. He gives them this as an example. He says, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Man, that's powerful. That could speak, any part of that could speak to you in this room. Forgiveness, God's provision, right? Not yielding to, to the temptation that you're wrestling with. It's, all, it's very, very beautiful. The whole prayer. That's why Jesus teaches us it. When he's like, hey, if you want to talk to your, to your father, this is the way he, this is an example of how you can talk to him. How you can pray about the things that are on God's heart and what really matters to your heart. But where I kept getting stuck on this, in these words, when I was meditating on them, and I was thinking about them, was the kingdom. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as it is in heaven. I just kept getting stuck there. And I'm like, I'm looking this through and I'm looking at my own life and I'm, I'm going, God, whose kingdom do I really want to come in my life? Like, honestly, whose kingdom do I really want to come at the end of the day? Like, I know I, I've prayed, I have probably prayed this prayer more times than I can count. I grew up in the Catholic faith. Man, we'd say our fathers all the time. I've prayed these words. I've said these words so many times. But as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about those words this week, I'm going, I don't know if I can sincerely say that my heart is in a posture where I'm, I'm, I want God's kingdom to come. Because I get pretty enamored with my kingdom. I get pretty enamored with my way of things. The way I want things to happen. And then I look at, may your will be done. And I'm going, ugh. I don't know that I can pray that with sincerity either, God. Like, I'm just being real church because we, we talk about these things, but we skim over them. We're like, yeah, your kingdom, your will, please. But not really when it comes to this. And I'm sitting there and I'm just having this moment with God and I'm looking at this and I'm not even trying to find information for preaching. I'm just looking at my own life this week and I'm going, God, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I'm struggling with these words right now. I'm struggling for your kingdom to come right now. I'm struggling for your will to be done right now. Like, I want that. I know I want that. I know that's what's going to be best. But to really say it from the heart and to mean it and to feel like sometimes I'm surrendering over something that is truly an idol, that's hard. It's really hard. And so I just have to ask you the same question I was asking myself is whose kingdom are you really wanting to come in your life? And whose will do you really want to be done? Like which one do you really, really want at the core of it all? In all areas. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, 75% of the time I'm good. I'm, no, in all areas of my life, all situations, all hurts, heartbreaks, moments, relationships, unforgiveness, all those pieces, politics, everything. Is that our prayer? Because this is what Jesus teaches us to pray for. I'd like to give lip service to it because that'd be easy. But this is in scripture right here. This is, what, this is the Lord's prayer. 
This is our father right here. He's saying, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm looking at the story and I, I'm like, I think I'm Peter slinging the sword sometimes. I think I sometimes have hypocrisy in my life like the religious leaders. And I don't always want to see it because I choose not to. And that's hard. That's really hard. I want to, I want to close with one final thought here for you. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, this is the end of John 18 after kind of you see Pilate and, <laughs> and Jesus going back and forth. It says, then he went out again. This is Pilate to the people. And he told them, go ahead, you can grab it. He's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at the Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary, right? He's like, he wants, he wants Barabbas. And, and here's what we need to know about the character of Barabbas is he's a rebel against Rome. He's a murderer. He's probably murdered Romans. And so the Jews who are sitting there that are the ones that are like, we want Barabbas. They like, they actually probably want Barabbas because Barabbas is opposing Rome. So that's what they want. They're like, yeah, give us Barabbas. And so here we have the Jews who are maintaining, trying to coerce and manipulate and grab and force things together once again so that therefore Jesus can die and Barabbas, a murderer, can be set free. We have the hypocrisy once again, right? And so many of us can get lured into this same trap. And I asked you a question at the beginning when this all started. I said, how do you know when you're forcing something? How do you know when you're trying to make something happen in your own life? Will it together? And there's never a good answer for this. And, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you because these are the questions I want to go to God with and go, God, how do I know where to go? How do I know what to do? How do I know which path you want me to take in this current moment? I, I get death to self. I, I understand that one. But then when am I supposed to fight for something? And when am I supposed to do this? And then we get this character of Barabbas in the story. And I'm going, what, what, what do we do with that? And the truth is, is we see such a powerful moment here because Barabbas... It's you and I. We're, we're the murderer. We're the one who has fallen short of the glory of God. We, we should be going to the cross. We should be dying for our sins. That's who it should be. But yet Jesus, who could get himself out of this moment, who could defend himself, could do this, willingly goes to the cross. And yet we're still sitting here in our life. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Which way do I go? What, am I forcing this relationship? Am I doing... And yet, God's trying to show something. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a second here. Barabbas. You know what Barabbas' name means? Son of the Father. That's what it means. Son of the Father. See, we come to God and we're like, God, what do you want me to do? And God goes, I want to remind you who you are. 
you should be there. You, should, you could be dying in the place. You should die for your sins. You should go to the cross. You have fallen short. You have made the mistakes. You have done all this. And that's just not God. God goes, no, no, no. Let me send my son. Let him go and die in your place. Let him go and get nailed to the cross and get flogged and whipped and all these things in your place. And we're like, God, what do you want me to do? And he's like, no, no, no. I want to remind you who you are. You're chosen. You're loved. You're forgiven. It's been wiped clean. It's like, it's not, it's not, we're like, God, what do you want me to do though? And God goes, no, 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 I want to remind you who you are. Like that doesn't answer the question. How do I know I'm forcing it? I picked you. I chose you. If if you're in me, then you're forgiven. You're a new creation. What the world has defined you by is no longer as I see you. No longer how I see you. And so we wrestle with like, what kingdom and what should I fight for and all these things. And God's like, that's not the point. The point is to come and die because you already know who you are. You don't need to grasp for power. You don't need to coerce. You don't need to manipulate. You don't need anything that this world has to offer. The only thing you need, you already have. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. And and. I know that sounds good up here, but you got to let that travel here, church. Because if you go right here, that'll get you out the door today. Go, yes, that's good. It feels good. I feel, you have to let that get into your heart. You have to let that transform you. You have to let it, you have to meditate on that and let it change you from the inside out that it does not matter what you've done or what you will fail to do, but that there is a Jesus who loves you so much. That he says, no, you walk off, you go, you get freedom, you go. You think Barabbas was gonna change? And Barabbas all of a sudden said, I'm, I'm gonna stop murdering now. No, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Nothing separates us. And so I just want you to understand that and remember that this morning and hold on to that, that when you ask God, what should I do? God says, I want to remind you who you are.